And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Want to begin by giving a shout out to the homie Albert Jenkins and also Mr. Don Newkirk. That was the last time that you will hear the Dad Bod Rap Pod 2020 intro. Uh, that's foreshadowing something we're going to talk about later. But right now we are here in episode 200. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One. I have been your host for many, 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 many fucking hours of talking. Uh, and I think I'm getting a little bit better at it. But you know, to me, who is the, the god of, of the talking on this program? It's Mr. Nate LeBlanc. Nate's, oh, in, the, Nate's, Nate's in the post. He's doing the real work. <laughs> he's, he's eating up innings. How's it going, man? I'm good. Uh, thanks for being here. Nice to see all my lovely friends in one place at this same time. And you know, it's a little bit of a momentous occasion. I do have feelings about it, but I'll try to hold them until the appropriate time. But just happy to be here. Welcome, everyone. Absolutely. It's it's great to have been uh, on the ship with you for 200 episodes. And then we have the, the man himself, the motor, the engine, the straw that stirs the drink on Dad Bod Rap Pod, Mr. David Ma. What's good, man? Yo, really good to be here with you guys uh, for the 200th time. Um, yeah, if, if Nate's the god of talk, I'm the god of silence, I guess. So um, <laughs> happy that you guys let me uh, tag along and I'm looking forward to episode 400. Yeah, that's right. Um, we're, we're very, you know, blessed really to be uh, working with Dave and all of the amazing access that we have on this program is a, is a credit to Dave. I know like 1.5 rappers like Dave, Dave's Rolodex is what makes this show go. And we want to bring on a special guest who probably won't be unfamiliar if you have listened to all 200 episodes as everyone should. Um, and that would be the man himself, DJ Cutso. What's happening, man? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Finally. <laughs> Let's set the over-under at Biatch's at uh, 6.5. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you're playing the Biatch drinking game, you, you, need to take, you need to take a shot right now. Uh, DJ Cutso joining us, our, our special guest. We're going to hear a little something that he put together um, later in the show. But, you know, we, we're, we are an amorphous group. Of, of homies, Paulo DJ Cutso comes uh, comes in in special occasions and just blesses us with um, amazing stuff. Uh, one of those things being a new theme song. Uh, Cuddy, uh, talk to us about how you made this beat and kind of how we <laughs> we formulated on on the new Dad Bod Rap Pod jingle. Man, well, okay, so. The beat started out, um, I was at a hotel room in Miami. I was in Miami um, for a Red Bull production camp. And um, I had just purchased a new laptop and I had to break it in by downloading sound packs. Porn. Oh, since no. uh, porn. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that, just to make sure it works, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> if it runs the hub, it, then it, we're it, good. You, yeah, you're good. It's a quality product. So... Um, I was literally in my hotel room, three in the morning, 
making beats and that was the first beat I made on this new laptop and the beat that you're going to hear is a very dark one and I was surprised that you guys actually approved of it because I was kind of going for like a, a grave diggers type of thing but um, uh, okay. oh yeah yeah I could I could totally get that vibe from this beat so you know, we had been playing around with the idea of having a theme song for some time and, and Nate was trying to goad me into it. And I was like, yeah, sure, that, that's doable. Then I heard what had happened was a theme song and I'm like, I'm never writing a theme song. Nothing, nothing will be better than that. Uh, but I've got my mojo back. Uh, Cutso was so gracious as to send me this joint, which bangs you'll hear in just a moment. And I thought like, yeah, let's do a theme song, but like, do it in the style of the old 70s and 80s sitcoms where the theme song kind of set up the show. You know what I mean? It's not just like a song that's that you play every week that's kind of about, you know, that is supposed to symbolize the show. I was like, maybe I could tell a story. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, top 50 rapper Will Smith style uh, <laughs> of explaining what's going on in the program that you're about to hear. So. Uh, we came together. I, I journeyed to uh, the new pain cave um, off of Busted Cherry Ave. And, um, <laughs> and, Cherry Ave. Uh, and you know, <laughs> brought, brought my bottle of Coquito and, and in the Dirty South. In the Dirty South San Jose, um, <laughs> sipping a little Puerto Rican uh, coconut holiday rum. No, but and, why, why was your Coquito in a big, kind of just opaque white bottle? It looked <laughs> like a bottle of KO Pectate. I was like, yo, are you, are you problems? Like, did you just come from a Bringing bad it back to Rapper's Delight. I was going to say, did you just the come from a bad, like, homey pectate. dinner? Yeah. Did the chicken taste like wood or something? Like, uh, the shout, you just came from? Shout out to my homegirl, Lydia. That was her uh, Christmas present for me. When she's been talking about Coquito. She's uh, Puerto Rican. And she's like, I'm going I'm to bring you some homemade. So I had my jug with me, and I was just kind of swigging it trying to get some inspiration for this theme was, song it yeah was, it was very like in the fashion of like old dirty bastard getting getting loose in the booth with like a bottle of something yeah and yeah in Jamon's case it was a bottle of coquito pectate that's right <laughs> <laughs> had my milk of magnesia on deck um and it was just uh it was yeah it was cool we me and cuddy go way back so it was cool just to check in and then uh we knocked out this theme song which we're gonna play for you Right now, Dad by Rapper. And now it's time for the Dad by Rapper with your hosts, Damon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say, not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad who chronicles the vanguard of hip hop at large. Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod. Rap pod. There it is, episode <laughs> 200. New theme song. What I love about this song is that whether you like it or you don't, you're going to hear it a hundred times this season. <laughs> it's going to become a part of you in the way that, um, are you guys? Yeah. In the way that I love it. And I was super stoked when it got sent over, you know, if I had notes, I would have sent them zero notes. Loved it. Nice. 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 Uh, yeah. So I, I, I like it. 
I like it for now. I'll probably hate it by the end of the season, but it's it's done. <laughs> What's done is done, and we're gonna run with it for the rest of the season. Um, so yeah, shout out, shout out, Cuddy making dark beats in his a shirt in a uh, in a Miami hotel, <laughs> just bringing greatness to the program. And the reason that we kind of wanted to do that is because I feel like we are in episode two hundred and we are hitting a new plateau. This episode in particular might be our our biggest one yet what 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 do you say to that nate what when you were quantifying 200 episodes this particular episode why is it the biggest ever well i mean t- he's probably the too short is probably the most famous person that we've talked to so there's that uh we like to do something special on the round numbers so there's that um but really i think it's uh we we, we use the term hero somewhat loosely like there were there have been people we've talked to we've referred to our hero in a post where I'm like it's someone I admire are they my hero uh but too short I like grew up listening to his music it's very very important to me and I love his music and it's just it's just someone I didn't think I would ever be able to talk to so for Mm. me this is our biggest episode because it kind of it's validation in the fact of like people wanting to be on the show where we used to have to beg. And yeah. it's kind of, uh, it's just someone I really admire. And um, I just, someone whose music is really important to me. So it's just, it's really cool to talk to them. And then there's going to be this whole part here where we talk about them, which is also kind of cool. It's like, we're, we're kind of an underground rap show to, so to spend time talking about some Bay area, like mob music and beyond is like something that's special to us, but we don't spend a ton of time on. So those are, I think why some some of the reasons why this is a, a momentous episode, uh, Mr. Dave Ma, uh, you and Too Short go way back. So you just <laughs> hit them up and you were like, "Hey, come on the show, bro." No, uh, how how did this come together? As Nate mentioned, this is a little bit out of our wheelhouse in terms of the types of guests that we get, which are always stellar. Um, right. This is kind of on another level. How were you able to uh, to pull up from forty feet and uh, and land Too Short? <laughs> I just hit up my dude, Todd, you know what I'm saying? No, um, (laughs) you know, like typically a lot of the interviews that I try to book for myself are sort of for the journalistic work. And, you know, it's this is obviously a different platform. So actually kind of like what Nate was saying, we've never had to fucking beg. I've never begged anyone to be on this fucking show. However, um, (laughs) however, with with people like Too Short or the E40s that are like a different tier, it's just a lot more work, man. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to. Um, work with his manager slash publicist and I just kept pushing this forward and pushing this forward and the timing just aligned it was kind of kismet a lot of luck uh, fell in our favor and um, you know that we recorded this what like in the summer or something so it was hard yeah Yeah, this is like the biggest secret I've had to keep for a minute and um, you know I think it speaks to the level of the show that we're at because you know, we can line up these interviews and then when they sit down, it not be a good interview, you know, but um, as everybody will be able to hear, I mean, it is incredibly extensive and he was so gracious with his time. Absolutely. Uh, We were, we were lucky to have him on. I like that Dave was like, I don't beg for shit, but, (laughs) but being the, the quiet persistence of David Ma has landed us quite a few um, incredible guests and, and too short kind of being the crown jewel among those, uh, DJ Cutso, you're a DJ. You spend more time than you would like to inside the club. Um, can you, for maybe folks who aren't from this region, can you talk about um, 
why is Too Short, a rapper who is 55 and came out in 1983, uh, why is he so achingly relevant in 2021? Well, um, I mean, for, you know, besides the reason that he is the OG, he's like the ambassador of Bay Area rap, um, you know, much respect to E-40, but Too Short, you know, was our first rap star out of the Bay Area. Mm. And, um, you know, over the years, you know, he's been able to um, adapt to, to the change of sound, like the, 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 the ever-changing landscape of hip-hop. He's been able to adapt to every era that he's been involved. Uh, everything from, you know, his tape era to, his, to the mob era to the hyphy era to, you know, the crunk, you know, up-tempo <laughs> crunk club era and, and beyond that. And so, you know, and up to, you know, right now with the, the Mount Westmore project um, that uh, the new single they have out is, it's a banger. Right. Um, and um, also, you know, with the fact that he's dropped so many anthems over the years, um, you know, there's not a single night that I play out here at a club in the Bay Area where I don't drop Blow the Whistle. It's like a must. Yeah. Like, yeah. DJs will always talk about, oh, I'm tired of hearing Blow the Whistle, but the people are not. No. In fact, there's a, one, there's a famous one-two punch that Bay Area DJs have where it goes from Blow the Whistle right into Mac Dre's uh, Feeling Myself. Myself they're both yeah. the same key. They're both the same tempo. They both have the same energy. Mm. And people never get tired of that one-two punch, and you just got to time it right to the right time of the night, and boom, you got everybody just going wild and going, and, you know, this is mm-hmm. like all the way from like, you know, like from Oakland to San Jose. Like I play dates, you know, every week in both cities and in both cities, it just, it, it never fails. Never fails. You call it uh feel the whistle or blowing myself. <laughs> um, hey, Nate, is that, is that the ghost of Matt Dre behind you? Yes. Nodding in disapproval. <laughs> in the building and I'm blowing myself. Uh, that is fucking eerie. Um, but I mean, oh, you man. know, like, like I said, you know, too short has spanned the decades and he's going into his fourth decade or he's it's in crazy. his fourth, well in his fourth decade. Fourth decade, yeah. At, yeah. As, a, as an artist and still manages to, to hit the nail and He'll just always be a voice that will always speak for us in the Bay Area. He'll always be our ambassador. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very well put. And and to your point, I was at a holiday party thing on Saturday and DJ played Blow the Whistle twice and mixed it with Feeling Myself the second time. And it was it was it was nuts from 20 somethings all the way up to the like 60-year-old custodian was gigging to it. Um just to to give you a a sense of, of two shorts, you know, um, lasting impact in this region. Uh, Nate, you were talking a little bit about um, how T-Short is a hero of yours, how you grew up with this music. What was the first thing of two shorts that you kind of got, um, you know, fell in love with? And how long did you have to like hide it from your parents? Like how did you <laughs> go about concealing your listening uh, 
to something that's basically r slash x-rated right yeah uh raw uncut and x-rated um what's it called <laughs> so i remember sneaking we kind of talk about this in the interview but a little color on it i remember sneaking away with my cousins to listen to cuss words um my cousin casey i think had the cd we went in his room at like a family party closed the door no no parents allowed and we listen to cuss words with the you know suddenly super relevant nancy reagan bars mm. and mm. um then i it was at that point i was like okay i know who this is this is this is dirty this is hilarious and then as time went on and i got a little older and that probably wasn't right when it came out i don't know exactly how old we were but old enough to have our own cds and stuff when I got a little older, I really, really fell in love with Get In Where You Fit In. Like, that's my favorite two yeah. short album. And um, it's just kind of, I, I wore that CD out. I, I like still have, I, I still have the CD and I clipped out the little part where it says Get In Where You Fit In in that iconic purple writing. And I had that like yeah. tacked up in my room. I like destroyed <laughs> the CD so I could have it as part of like a collage or something. So, and then I, I remember my dude Aldo on a basketball team in eighth grade. And uh, he had cocktails, which is the follow-up. And we, yeah. we, we did that thing uh, where you, you take one of the earphones and yes. listen to it while we were riding on, a, on the bus on the way to a basketball tournament. And him and I were bench warmers, so we didn't have to worry about like getting ready for the game. <laughs> we just sat around and listened to Too Short. It was, it was awesome. So, yeah, just always been a huge fan. And I, I'm a Jive era guy. Like, I really love that right. stuff. 75 Girl stuff is great. It's just kind of a different kind of music. The blow the whistle. I'm sure everyone who goes to clubs is enjoying that. Like for me, when Too Short talks in a little bit about when he gets that band together and when he he hits that stride of like the seventh through tenth albums on Jive. Like to me, that is some of those. The are, those are the years, made. for sure, for sure. Uh, Dave, what was your kind of like uh, Too Short starter kit? You know, I don't even remember. Just because being like a Bay Area um, I feel like my middle school years were just blanketed with too short, you know, coming home from school and um, watching CMC, like mm. the, those videos are there. Um, he's all over cameo, like pretty much my entire life. Um, but I mean, maybe I would say rapper's ball because it was him and E40 mm. and that was a big national sort of uh, level up for them. Um, but yeah, like sort of to Nate's point, like the Jive era is definitely my stuff. And it wasn't until later because I mean, you know, when I first heard Rapper's Ball, you know, I'm I'm in middle school, but it wasn't until later that I realized, you know, the 75 girls era. Um, I mean, he is he's such um, a pioneer, you know, and so so I I later did did the knowledge and realized like his importance, not just like somebody who makes music, but just like as an entrepreneur in this yeah. area as well. Um, but my album for me, I mean, life is too short. Like I can play that back to back all day. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with you on that. Uh Cuddy, what is what is what's your go-to too short? Like what's the first the first album of his that you really connected with? Um, well, you know, like everybody here, I connected first with Life is Too Short. I actually the story behind me finding Life is Too Short, that album, uh was kind of funny. I was walking down the street, um, around the corner of my um to my aunt's house. I was walking to my aunt's house, her next door neighbor had a garbage bag in their lawn full of tapes. I guess like an angry parent had thrown out all these tapes because oh. it was like, it was, it was things like, like poison, uh, like yeah. poison, not Bill Biv DeVoe. Um, right. You know, uh, Kid Sensation, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Seminar, um, and Life is Too Short. And 
before I had actually gotten a hold of that cassette at that very moment, I remember the skater kid down the street singing life is too short. And I was like, what is that? You know, what, right. what is this kid singing? And I got a hold of that tape and I was like, oh, that's what that is. And so I connected with that album. Of course, you know, cuss words was like the joint. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, over the years, I, you know, explored, you know, just as a, a Bay Area native, uh, you know, it's been embedded in us one way or another. And, you know, over the years, I, you know, did some, you know, of my own exploration into the 75 Girls era when I was working at Streetlight Records in San Diego. Uh, shout out to Fuse One, who would take all of the best stuff that would come through the store and keep it for himself, including the entire <laughs> 75 Girls tape collection, which somebody brought in. And That's dope. I just remember sitting in his garage with, you know, a six pack of Heineken, three in the morning playing every single tape from front to back and just having this crazy appreciation for it because, you know, I, you know, growing up, you know, messing around with four track recorders and doing DJ mixes and stuff like that. I, you know, I really had this like sort of affinity for like raw, you know, mm -hmm. rap recordings, you know, like just home recorded raps and, you know, the whole 75 girls like string of albums really spoke to me, but I would say my favorite two short album over the years has always been born a Mac. Mm. okay okay just because you know little girls is like one of my joints um you know um of course freaky tales, comes tales from that yeah. one. um yeah. the the dj universal mix at the end of that cd is that's sort of like that was kind of like the blueprint for you know a lot of you know the mega mix stuff that i do to this day which you guys will also hear um, absolutely in this episode and uh, that, that was good foreshadowing yeah and so <laughs> um you know just over the years, you know, Two Shorts O is just album after album, just, you know, mm -hmm. hits, hits, hits. And it, it may not speak to everybody, but, you know, definitely if you're, you know, grew up in the Bay Area and you're a Bay Area native, it, it hits you like right in the feels. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I concur with all of the, uh, the statements you're here. This is the sucky part where I always have to be like, I'm like five years older than y'all. So <laughs> it, start, it started off a, a little bit different for me i was um i first really understood who too short was because i used to tape umtv raps um and that was kind of like my my way of getting the rap music back then and you know before i saw the life is too short video you know everything's from new york right like everything rap is a very new york centric thing especially the the videos they're playing on mtv and then I saw the Life is Too Short video and I'm like, shit, I've been to Oakland. That's like, oh, wait a minute. This is, th it was my first inkling that there could be a rapper from this general region. Um, and he had on the Dookie chain and it was like, it was New York, but it wasn't. He'll talk about this a little bit in the interview. Um, he had some of the vibes, but there was something homegrown. There was something local about it. Uh, and the 808. So my kind of, I talked about this on the show, my introduction to rap was like through electro stuff, like jam on it and, and all that kind of music. And so there was something about it that, that resonated with me. And I remember just running that VHS tape back until I knew all the words to it. And I would go to school and sing it and people would be like, who's that? What's that? Um, and so I feel like for me, Too Short will always hold a special place because he was the first local rapper to me, like that I understood about. And then after that, I kind of got into MC Hammer and some other stuff. Um, 
but the album that always sticks out uh, for me is, is kind of like if I had to pick one, I think it would be Born to Mac um, in the sense that Freaky Tales, you know, prior to sex education was about <laughs> that was about the, the most I knew about sex uh, was from listening to that tape over and over and kind of memorizing all the all the characters names uh, was a big deal for me and my friends at the time. And so, um, you know, I feel like it's one of those things like uh, especially for young boys, young boys turning to men. Uh, Too Short was kind of like a rite of passage where you heard about things. It was very, uh, it was very, you know, let's just say it, X-rated. Um, and it was a type of talk that you knew was not appropriate. And that's what made it so, so good. And also, um, the more I listen to it now, I was listening to Life is Too Short today, the album. Um, Too Short, the drummer, because he programmed all those drums, but he also played drums in high school. Um, his drum programming was actually really together. Like, really, really together, especially for, for that time. Uh, some of those beats back in the 88 to 90 era were just like whoever had the drum machine and can like do something. But he had, um, I'm not gonna say a swing, but there was kind of a, there was a vibe in the way he organized his drum patterns that really uh, still stands out. And I think that's why songs like that can still hit today in the way that a lot of songs from 1988 don't, you know what I mean? Um, so and and he definitely gets into all of the above in this in this great interview that we have lined up for y'all. Before we throw to that though, um, I wanna I want us to project a little bit. Too short is fifty five. Um, Mount Westmore Project has has they've just released a single from it. It seems like it's it's gonna do some things. Nate, where does he go from here? Is he doing a seventy five girls retro at seventy five? Like where does <laughs> Where does where can Two Short's career go from here? Because he's in uncharted territory for a rapper, no? Yeah, kind of. Um, one of my favorite things to bring up. I feel like I bring this up anytime we talk about uh, rappers who've had a couple decades on their career is that Daddy O from Stetsasonic released an album last year. He's yep. sixty five. It's it's pretty decent. It's uh, I I just maybe before we hadn't talked to him or before Mount Westmore would have been announced, I would have been like, you know, he's probably gonna wind it down here i don't i don't get that sense at all i don't think no. he has any intention of stopping nope. uh rapping and uh he has even come up with a clever catchphrase about that yeah that he's been per, using since the 80s his um, mission statement yeah. yeah he just he just doesn't stop rapping <laughs> and i i think that's kind of a beautiful thing um i actually think this mount westmore thing has a chance to be pretty big like all these guys are still culturally relevant the um first single is fun the first video is like Mm -hmm. whoa like who directed like this got some budget yeah. behind it this is like a cgi fest it's crazy yeah. so i just think uh our definition of elder statesman is going to keep drifting a little bit further it used to be when you were 30 you were old in the game yeah and now yeah. then when you were 40 and now i think i think we're going to have 75 year old rappers and i don't think there's a problem with that and uh you know if we're lucky enough to still be culturally commenting we'll we'll see if the music's good but at this yeah. point i don't see why he would stop yeah yeah he, he he definitely shouldn't uh dave do you think that he could have another blow the whistle for a lot of for a lot of folks, this blow the whistle is kind of like their starting point for too short, right? If you're like fifteen to twenty years younger than this, do you do you think he has it in him? 
Um, I don't think he doesn't have it in him. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think what's most comforting about Too Short is sort of his agelessness. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so these kids these days, you know, they see E40 at a, at a, at a dubs game or a giants game, and they just know he's a rapper, but they're not, a, they're not super familiar with all his records. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. feel like Too Short is in that echelon where he is just that's fucking too short. Um, yep. Kids might not even know his age. They just know that's fucking too short. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in this era where rappers can age, I mean, can you imagine how wise Black Thought is going to be when he's in his 70s? So, yeah, yeah I'm looking seriously. forward to too short. I'm looking forward to too short. Um, will he have another blow the whistle? I'm not sure. But if anyone can, it would be him. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's he's uh, he's still chugging along and he talks a little bit about his some of his own future plans, even outside the Mount Westmore stuff in the upcoming interview. So obviously we're all huge fans of Two Shorts, if you couldn't tell. And we're super geeked to, to have him on the program. But in addition to that, it's episode 200. So we've been like going so hard to make this so fucking special. Um if you are listening to this now, you can go to okplayer.com and read our triple byline uh, top 10 two short career moments article that we put together. Uh, shout out to Dave Ma for, um, for, for tapping in the homies. Let me, let me get off the bench in garbage time, uh, throwing a couple paragraphs, can pick up, <laughs> pick up uh, 10.7 rebounds in garbage time. Um, really, really cool. Uh, it's kind of like a listicle type of thing, but but I think it's better than the average listicle. It's not like one of those where Way you got to scroll every every moment is like you got to go to a new page, like those fucking scammer sites. I, I just uh, want to kind of point <laughs> out, like uh, they gave us a lot of freedom with this. Like they, yeah. it's like a better headline would probably have been 10 things we wanted to write about. Too, yeah, yeah too short. Right, right. Are they are right. they the top 10 moments of two shorts career? I don't know how to. Quote if we them. say they is Nate. Yeah. To us, right. to us, well, we, we said they were defining and we fucking did it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it was it was a really cool experience. And as someone who lurked and commented on the OK Player message boards at a time, but like pre Twitter, that was Twitter for me. Like I was really on it to where I got called into HR when I worked uh, at the bank for my uh, gratuitous uh, message boarding. Were they like, this is not OK Player? <laughs> Alley to my mans. Uh, yeah, so I, I really, there, you know, there's definitely been a lot of uh, moments of personal vindication on this program, and this has definitely been one of them. So you should go and check that out. It's on OK Player right now. Shout out to OK Player for, um, for running that in perfect timing with the, uh, with the upcoming interview that we're about to play. But we had to make it specialer. I think, I, honestly, I feel like Nate has been like um, – He's been on a on a tear of just suggesting and bringing new ideas to the fore and like pulling in the partners and making everything happen. Yeah, it got romantic. You, you saw that. Um, and so we got the homie Controller 7, uh, who Deadbot Rap Pot listeners will definitely be familiar with. Shout out to C7 to put together a little special, special intro for this two short interview. So we are going to hear that intro, and then you'll hear from the man himself, uh, Todd Shaw, who's, when you're on uh, Zoom with him, says Todd Shaw. <laughs> I, just, I thought that was fucking amazing. Like, Crazy. Yeah, Crazy. yeah. He just, even Dave don't put his whole name in there. 
<laughs> he came on screen as Todd Shaw and it was on. You know pop- what's funny though? It's like with some of the, especially like the people more in our world, our community. Like I'll often slip and call them their real name because I have my thing about not calling people delicious or whatever. But um, <laughs> in, in no world am I going to call Too Short Todd, right? Like no, it just it never no. even crossed my mind. Like it's just no. it would be what disrespectful. You say, Todd? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in any event, uh, this shit is a big deal that we're about to do right here. So whenever you do a big deal thing, you, you got to have uh, all the pyrotechnics to go with it. So here it is. Our interview with Too Short, special introduction produced by Controller 7. Dad bod, rap pod, every week, every week, every week, we have conversations with people who are moving and shaping, moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week, this week, this week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have Zilla Rocca, Prince Paul, Cutso, Mike and I, Fat Lip, Vic Spencer, Roxanne Shantae, Easy Moby, Camp Low, Amp Live, Del the Funky Homo Sapiens, Oliver Wong, Adrian Quesada, Ant of Atmosphere, Tracks a Million, Adisa Banjoko, Gift of Gab, Apani B. Fly, Shaka Shaw, Jeff Weiss, Paul Thompson, Brian Coleman, Chris Crack, Uncommon Nest, Samurai Banana, Lockhead, Percy P, Soren Baker, Elzai, Sean Sotero, Riley Wallace, Billy Woods, Domino, DJ Q, Rumark, Razcat, Small Pro, Jay Zone, Sun Ra, Controller 7, Jose Rojo, Akinelli, Prince Marky D, Brandon Peters, DJ Premier, Kitty Siegel, Faith Newman, One Below, MCJB of JJ Fad, The Last Poets, Obliv, Gifted Gab, Derringer, Dean Van Wynn, Brian Nagata, Jonathan Skluk, Thurston Howell the Third, DJ Eclipse, Big Hungry, Jazz, Mr. Lynn, Nathaniel Friedman, Curly Castro, Little Brother, Cool Keith, Homeboy Sandman, Open Mike Eagle, Ben Merlin, Psycho Less, Rap Ferrera, Mobby, Bean, Elucid, Hanif Abdurraki, Evidence, Adam Monster, Great 808, Tree, Yeshua the Poet, Fat Tony, Gang, Reese Langston, Slug, Count Base D, Edgewise, DJ Platter, Eloquent, ST Nat, Spectacular Diagnostics, J Live, 38 Special, Shrapnel, Corle Chris, Call Out Culture, Animos, Ito, DJ Preservation, Nate Patron, Tajay, Nappy Nina, Shay Noir, Armin Hammer, Derelicts, Jake One, Paula Brown, The Koreatown Audit, Felicia Viator, Sean Kantrowitz, and DJ Steve Wonder, AWOL One, Blue and Exile, Odyssey, Morgan Rhodes, Dark Adams, Self Jupiter, Rob and E from the next movement, John Morrison, Sterling Toll, Marcus Moore, Shafiq Hussein, DJ Shadow, and the Automator, MC8, MF Grimm, Kathy Yondoli, Saw Rock, Alaska, MC Paul Barb, Elijah, Small Bill, Satch from the Nonce, Laurent Fintoni, Lyric Jones, Josh Gondelman, DJ Day, Vinyl Nation, Sadat X, Dante Ross, Static Selector, Latirix, Open Mike Eagle, Cut Chemist, Breeze Bruin, Merz, Jihad the Roughneck, The Architect, Tumex, Cadence Weapon, Mocha Only, Daedalus, Marlon Craft, Fat Boy Sharif and Roper Williams, Nine, Buck Wild, J Words, Jeff Chang, Davey D, Fast Air, RJD2, Pink Seafood, Bruiser Wolf, Ed OG, Mumbles, Master Ace, Death C, Esoteric, King Mo, Psalm One, Hip Stone, DMC, Peter Rosenberg, Corrupt, Joseph Patel, Sky Zoo, Declaim, Don Will and Von P, The Last Emperor, DJ Format, Boombat Project, DJ Yellow, Video Day, Blueprint, OC, Retmatic, Chip Food, DJ Abilities, Skiz Fernando, Tall Black Guy, Jose Moore, David Ori, Rob Sonic, Saya. And now, Sir Too Short, Playboy Short, Too Motherfucking Short, Funky Fresh from Oakland, California, Too Short, Biatch. 
dad bod rap pod every week we have conversations with people who are moving and shaping rap culture this week is perhaps our biggest interview ever we're talking to a legit hip-hop icon legend not only in the part of the world where we come from but rap in general we want to welcome to the program too short what's happening man what's up what's up shit uh happy to have you on the program want to want to take it back to your to your beginnings mm-hmm. um you've been rapping since the early 80s as as has been famously documented and is in your songs i'm wondering about who were the what was the rap music that you were listening to that inspired you to start rapping and like how were you getting it back then as being somebody who was on the west coast and and a lot of the stuff was coming from the east coast i was a drummer in the school band and since um, probably like, you know, sixth, seventh grade, I was getting pretty good at like reading music and, you know, I, I know how to play drums and hip hop came out. I first heard Rapper's Delight in 1979. Mm-hmm. I was in ninth grade and I had heard things like Parliament Funkadelic where they rap a little bit, but it wasn't called hip hop. You know, different songs had like that little flow in it. It was some songs mm-hmm. out there. You even go listen to like songs like um, uh, Dookie Stick. And it's, he's kind of rapping, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't looking at it back then, but now you listen to it now. Like, he was flowing a little bit, a little something there. But Hip Hop, Rapper's Delight, the first commercial rap record that went out, I heard it in 1979. After that, I started buying anything that was hip hop. The first stuff I remember was... Um, like Grandmaster Flash, Freedom, you know, stuff started coming out with Sugar Hill Records, like the Sequence, uh, you know, uh, Sugar Hill Girls, fucking um, uh, Sugar Hill Gang made more records. It was Spoonie G. It was a few yeah. records coming out those early days. I remember Super Rhymes, Jimmy Spicer. And early on, probably like it was summer of 1980, I had only really heard rap like a year earlier. It only been my life like about a year. And I was like, as a drummer, patterns, I was like, I could do this shit. And I found an instrumental record. It was a jazz record that had, it had four songs on it and were all instrumental, like jazz band. But one of them was really funky. And I took that one and I rapped to it. And I just basically just sat a tape recorder next to a speaker I was down on my knees, just like rapping so the speaker and the voice could could get recorded. And that was just me checking the temperature. And I'm like, okay, I can flow. I can do it. I can get these patterns. And, you know, little by little, I just got some better equipment and I wrote some more lyrics. And I just, it was about maybe a year into it, probably like by 1981. I'm like, yeah, I'm a rapper too. I'm a rapper. So, you know. And the, the influences were those early records and basically mostly not even rap records. It was mostly like just parliament. Like I was yeah. obsessed with the funk and even in my pursuit of looking for instrumentals to rap to, they had to be the funk. Mm-hmm. So, so when you, you heard rap, you decided you could do it for yourself. When did you, start with the player persona was that from the jump spoonie g was player a little bit but i feel like you introduced that into rap and i'm wondering if that was from the jump or you developed i used to like um i used to like the way 
like Rapper's Delight, they had these really long fucking, you know, verses with no hook. Um, Spoonie G did it always. He always like the, the hook would, I don't even know if he ever did a hook. Um, Jimmy Spice Super Rhymes, one of my favorite songs ever. I mean, he goes 10 minutes nonstop damn near. And I just always gravitated towards of all the first rappers I heard, I thought that Spoonie G was like kind of effortlessly just kind of flowing without too much of the hip hop. He was just kind of flowing. Mm-hmm. And he always mentioned his escapades with the ladies. Like he just drop it in there and get back to rhyming. But he always was like the player. And I, I used to think that of all these guys that first came out, I'm like, that guy is hands down the coolest one. Like that's my flavor. So in all my years, I always like, mentioned his name a lot because that kind of sparked where I wanted to go. But then just living in Oakland, growing up watching those black exploitation movies and, you know, just, uh, I love when the movies come on, I never really was fascinated by pimping in the sense of, I was not infatuated with the sale of vagina and give me your money. I was like the cars, clothes, and the guys that have all the girls, you know? I'm like, that's a pimp. That's that pimp shit. So that, to me, when I watched those movies when I was a kid, and they, the different way they customized the Cadillacs and shit and the, and the customized clothes, I'm like, that's that shit. So I get to Oakland, and I'm rapping, and all of this is right there at my fingertips. And I'm using all of this to become too short. And, and when it hit me, it was probably um, the very first time I heard the message. Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, the message. And I'm walking down the street with my, my big radio. And it's just those words come on, broken glass everywhere, people pissing on, you know, and it's just, I'm walking down the street and I'm picturing New York like I've never seen New York before. And I could see it vividly clear in my head, New York. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to fucking tell the story about Oakland. Like I need to, I need people to see this shit through music. And at that moment, that's where it went. It just went there. It was, it was a hands down, you know, that was the direction I was going in. And then I met Freddie B. And at the same time, we were, we were on the same vibe. Let's just use all the latest slang that they talk out here. Let's mention all the coolest shit going on. Let's mention all the biggest players in the city. Let's, you know, let's just do the city. And, and it, it worked. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, you mentioned sort of becoming too short and you mentioned 1981. So I wanted to bring up Don't Stop Rapping and uh, 75 Girls Records. And what do you remember most about putting that together and that time in your life? And, you know, just take us back to 1985, 75 Girls Records, Young so Too Short. I had 1985 is when I met Dean Hodges. He was the guy who owned 75 Girls Records. Mm. His brother, his little brother was a good friend of mine. We all used to hang out, you know, just hang out, smoking weed, hanging out, kicking it. And, and his brother had rapper aspirations. And we, we, you know, we went to the spot, DJ set up, everybody flow. They used to do the little outdoor thing. Like they would 
set up the turntables outside and kind of, you know, rap to the community center or wherever the fuck. I wasn't really into that. Mine was all about recording tapes and selling tapes. But I went over there and powwow with him and me and, me and uh, Dean's little brother Jerry got real tight. So um, 1982, 83, 84, and just those three years are probably the peak of me and Freddie B selling tapes all over the city. And in those tapes, I, I, I recited lyrics that I would later use for probably the next, like my first eight albums on Jive was re, repurposing a lot of those lyrics from the Freddie B and Two Short tapes. Like if I wrote it down on paper and it was in my shoebox or my notebook or whatever the fuck, I one day years later came back and rewrote all that shit. But I um I was given the opportunity meeting Dean Hodges, 75 Girls Records. The first thing we got into, he was like, let's make an album. I own a label. I got these musicians. You know, we got studio time. Let's make an album. I had already been dabbling in like little drum machines and shit, you know, because to get your hands on a drum machine was like, like, like getting a golden egg or some shit. It was just it was like, I got a drum machine. Or I, it was like, I know somebody with a drum machine. That was the shit. Not even to have one. So um, Dean had all this shit. He had the best drum machine that money could buy. He had the best instruments. He had professional musicians. He was working at different first studios in San Francisco on an SSL board. It was like the best of the best of the best. And I stepped right into this shit with lots of material. I had a lot of, you know, I'm in the streets. I'm rapping about the streets. I got tons and tons of pages of rhymes. Like uh, back then I used to carry this box. It was like a U-Haul box and it was full of fucking raps. I would just dig in it and just find something to say whenever I was recording. And um, the first song I ever recorded professionally was a girl that's your life. And I think about stuff like, like religious textbooks and how when humans first started communicating through written language, the first thing they wrote was all this historical shit that was happening about creation and God and angels and others, you know, the Bible and the other, the other religious textbooks from, from, from the beginning. And I just think uh, the first time they ever put me in the studio, crack cocaine was doing so much activity in Oakland that I couldn't think of anything else to rap about. With the, I couldn't think of anything more relevant to make a song about except the highs and lows, ins and outs, negative, positive, everything about crack. Listen to that song, Girl, That's Your Life. I have so much to say on the subject. The song literally has about 10, ver- 10 verses. <laughs> it goes to the hook 10 fucking times. I, I listen to this song one day and I'm like, damn, I, another verse? Like, it, it just goes on. I had, had a lot to say. So um, the early songs I made was like Playboy Short. That's just typical too short. It, it lets you know from day one. I'm really like carrying over the persona from the mixtapes we're selling in the streets. These are, these are some of those words. Freaky Tales was a song that I initially wrote in probably like 1982. 
And the version that everybody knows is the version that I recorded in 1987. And that's how I just kept bringing the shit back. But um, that Don't Stop Rapping album is funny because they asked me, what do you want to name the album? And I'm not really thinking like, oh, this is a clever title. I'm thinking literally like when the beat starts, no matter how long the beat plays, don't stop rapping. And that's what we used to do with the mixtapes. You look at a lot of songs I put out with Jive. I've got nine minute long songs, 11 minutes long, eight minutes, like like tons and tons of songs where the fucking a verse is supposed to be 16 bars. I'm doing like 160 bars before the hook comes. <laughs> and that was sort of uh, something that I wanted to be in my image. I wanted to never stop rapping over the years and never start, never stop rapping while the beat is playing. Like rap a lot of lyrics, spit a lot of game, and talk a lot of shit. So um, that album, it, 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 I think it's only like five or six songs, but you know, it was a damn good intro. And then the uh, the seventy five girls chain, that's uh, that's Dean's chain. That was his label, seventy five girls. But the chain and just the whole little leather Run DMC was the hottest shit out. I didn't really have much direction as far as uh, the look. So I was like, Run DMC wearing leather? I'm going to wear leather. <laughs> you know, Houdini used to have the leather on. Kumo D had the leather. I'm wearing leather. Shit, fuck it. <laughs> so even Grandmaster Flash, everybody's wearing leather. But, you know, I, I just, I like the swag of it when I look back. I look like a little ass kid, 75 girls chain. And another thing is, um, I was customizing Freaky Tales. It was always called Freaky Tales, but I was customizing it to go with the label. Hmm. And I had, and it really talked about these 75 girls and how I got them and what I did to them. But when I recorded it, the demo version, it sounded too long and drawn out and a lot of it was whack. And I, I went through it. I think the final version has like 40 something females mentioned. <laughs> and I went through it and to my standards, I eliminated all the whack bars and the stupid names and the shit that I, I a lot of it was just dragging it out to so it would be 75. So about 30 women got cut. They didn't make the cut. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Thank you. Um, just real brief. Want to set this up. And I just want to say, like, when I was a kid, we used to treat your records like how my parents would treat. Red Fox or Richard Pryor records, like party records. Like I have to listen to them. Yeah, sneak to listen to them. Uh, your Nancy Reagan bar has been a you know a big part of my life since I was a little <laughs> kid. I just thought that was the most outlandish, funniest thing I had ever heard. And so I wanted to <laughs> ask you, like, how important is humor to your style of writing, your style of rapping? Because a lot of it is socioeconomic stuff about Oakland. A lot of it is player talk and somewhere in the middle of there I think you're really funny and I think that there's, there's three layers to make make the flow of the album work I wasn't really thinking in terms of like this has to happen every song but I, I thought of it in the texture of if you listen to the whole album because back then we used to listen to albums and you know three things always had to happen throughout an album the shit had to be funny as fuck and it had to be pimp player as could be and then you had to balance it with real fucking issues that are really happening today and that was like a lot of you know a lot of groups put that in there you think about the run dmc's and the houdini's and even kumo d 
Like one song, he's saying, go see the doctor, funny song. But then another song, he's a pimp and a player. And another song, he's fucking social commentating. And that was part of, that's not something that I did originally. That's just something that I did my version of. But in my funny, it's different than Kumo D, go see the doctor funny. If I made a song, go see the doctor, it would have been a much more graphic, you know, hitting home kind of fucking subject it would you would have been like oh shit like like i would i would have took you through the, the the real journey of it but the the humor always played a part because in a song like nancy reagan sucked my dick like corn on the cob and her husband's actually the president at the time is a mean way to say that and I've, i'm like the mean way is not going to get you the it might get you the ooh to ah, but it's not going to get you that classic. And I grew up listening to comedy records of Red Fox and Richard Pryor. You know, we we um we could listen to Richard Pryor as long as the parents weren't home. Just let it play. All the kids shut the fuck up, listen to it. And as soon as you hear that door, somebody hitting that driveway, act like we never were listening to it. Um, but the the humor was very important to me that other rappers didn't necessarily do it a lot. And it's so easy when you're being explicit to be funny. It's just, you know, sex funny. Like Freaky Tales has funny parts. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Like it, it really like will make you laugh the first time you hear it. And I was going for that shit. It was a, it was a deliberate shock value that had been working on mixtapes in the streets for a long time. So it's not like Freddie B, my rap partner, he had one of the favorite street songs that we made. He had this ongoing obsession with the tooth fairy. So he's telling this story. <laughs> he, tell, he just breaks off into this story. We did a lot of storytelling, a lot of shit talking, but you gotta tell the stories. And the story goes that his tooth fell out and his parents like, you know, put it under your pillow. The tooth fairy is going to come. And the tooth fairy shows up and he, he either wakes up or he wakes up or whatever. And she's like, what do you want? You know, most kids want some change. He's like, no, I want a, a limousine with, with some cocaine on a platter. <laughs> and we're going straight to Las Vegas and you're going to be my hoe. So he tells this whole story how him and the tooth fairy riding in a limo going from the Bay to Vegas, snorting coke, and she's about to be his prostitute. And then later, he revisits the story, and he's still pimping on the Tooth Fairy <laughs> in a whole, new, a whole new version. And that's just the kind of shit we, we used to make up characters. Like, Blowjob Betty is a character from the street tapes. I made the song official when I was on Jive Records, but there's another version that was a street. It was just these characters, Jiggle, Jenny, and... And this, we just used to make a Jiggle Genie, the big titty girl. I even, I even hear, heard Mac Dre mention uh, Jiggle Genie. That's an old too short character. Gotta say, wow. the, the redo version of that with the famous sample, we don't do sample snitching on the show, but that's that's one of your best, uh, the updates of the song. That's incredible. And I have a whole get in where you fit in thing later, but I'll let Damone ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so um, the, 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 uh, the Tooth Fairy... It was a funny show, funny as hell. Freaky Tales was funny when I first made it. That was like sex ed uh, <laughs> for me in in seventh eighth grade, walking to school, uh, listening to Freaky Tales. Um, 
you you mentioned though your your inspiration sources and like really um looking to the rap that was coming out of new york but then you drop on jive um and it seemed like i remember at the time that you didn't get the critical reception from new york or hip-hop audiences there was this kind of like oh that's he's not rapping rapping uh how how did you feel about that? And like, how does it feel now to kind of uh, have outlasted so, many, many of the folks who, who they said you couldn't rap like? So in the present time, while this is happening, New York is not accepting West Coast rap or down South rap or Midwest rap. So I'm doing shows all through the Midwest, I'm in love. I'm all in Tennessee, down south, love. I'm all in fucking over the West Coast and Seattle and Phoenix is just love. And then it gets to this certain border, like right about DC and they're like, the fuck out of here, sign you up. And it didn't bother us, man. It really didn't bother us. It didn't bother me like it must have bothered Ice Cube and the West Side Connection and Tupac or, you know, it didn't bother me like that. It just really didn't bother me. I, I, I only got my feelings hurt once. I was on the first little promo tour of Life is Too Short. I really didn't get any kind of promo tour ever before Life is Too Short. So I signed a jive on Born to Mac, but they didn't do anything except remaster it, re-release it, and just let it do what it did. But we went official on Life is Too Short. And the reviews from the, the main hip hop critics coming out of New York, I knew where they were coming from. I knew the publications and they shitted on me. Yeah. And it was like shit, 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 shit. And that's the only time that I ever felt a certain way about, you know, not being liked or I felt like, fuck, like you need this Broadway play review to be official <laughs> and the fucking album instantly went gold and then I went on tour with NWA and the fucking album went platinum. Now the reviews are saying this album's a two and a half out of five. It's a two. It's a three. The guy can't rap. It was saying shit like He's trying to be like an Easy E, and I'm like, I've been rapping five years before Easy E ever touched <laughs> rapping dirty. Like, how am I trying to be like somebody who's, you know, came after me? And it kind of like it stung a little bit. But then when the album went gold and then it went platinum, I'm thinking like, yeah, you know, fuck y'all, like. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know what happens is every album I drop after that goes platinum. And every time I drop them, they say the same fucking thing. Right. Can't rap. The beats are weak. Uh, don't think this was going to, the last one was a fluke. It's not going to do it again. And it's just like five fucking platinum albums in you. I'm not going to do it again. Like it just, yeah. it, they really didn't get what I was doing. And yeah. I knew what I was doing. I yeah. was making really bass heavy songs that sounded really good. If you got a lot of woofers in your trunk. Yep. And it's the perfect shit to listen to. We got a lot of woofers because it's yelling out profanity shit that's like, bitch, <laughs> suck my dick right now. That's so much better than 
getting in your car with your thousands of dollars worth of sound system equipment and it's just like boom bap drums and you just like saying all these clever ass rhymes and shit. <laughs> I love that Sell shit. It. I'm Sell it. If I'm in my car with my woofer full, so, there's so many woofers in my trunk, I can't even put a spare tire in there. I need freaky tails playing. <laughs> that that is the absolute truth. Uh, so I'm doing this shit as a genius, and they're writing me off as an idiot. And I'm like, you fuckers don't get it. And I'm, it was just it was the safest place to be because they didn't get it. Do you feel like they get it now? Do you feel like New York? I mean, you ended up doing songs with Big and all the all the things. Do you feel eventually it seemed like New York came around to you? New York eventually got too short, but it's bigger than too short. Hip hop mm -hmm. completely absorbed the theory of a lot of bass and shit talking. I mean, you got guys like, you know, the Ghetto Boys reinforcing this shit. You got fucking Luke Skywalker reinforcing the shit. It's coming at you from every fucking angle and it's winning. These are these are groups that are going platinum. And you got Outkast come out reinforcing the shit. And they like, you know, took, they were like the new guys on the block. They took what we were doing to a whole new level of consciousness mixed in with the pimping, mixed in with the fucking funk and shit. And it was just, you couldn't, you can't fight the funk, first of all. Like, New York, um, New York sampling so much James Brown is probably the most important thing to get hip hop started. And to me, it, it's just the funk. Like, what the fuck? James Brown is the birth of everything we call funk. If I got it from Parliament, Parliament got it from James Brown. If you got it from me, I got it from Parliament. It's just, it's the funk. So, I think uh, we all funky in our own ways. You know, <laughs> we are really funky, like hip hop. You know, I listen to, it's a lot of old school New York hip hop that's just, it's really fucking funky, you know? And I, I, I'm into that shit, but they missed the mark on where we went with it early on. Right on, man. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, I, um, I want to bring up some relationships and collaborations that you've had. I. I had a chance to talk to E-40 a couple of years ago and I brought you up. I mean, cause you know, you guys are Bay legends and idols that we grew up with. And I was like, you know, talk a little bit about Too Short. And E-40 was like, oh, Too Short? I knew him BR. And I was like, BR? And he goes, before rap. And so can, yeah. you, ta can you talk a little bit about like when you first heard of E-40, when he entered your consciousness and then just how your relationship is, your friendship, your working process. Well, yeah, I knew about the click early on. Okay. It was, the click was, um, it was some brothers and cousins and sisters and they all were related and they all came from Vallejo and they liked to drive Cutlass Supremes and there was a click. And I knew um, in the old days in hip hop, if I'm standing, if we're at a park and there's a bunch of guys hanging out and E-40's over there, his boys, their cars, their jewelry, and they're over there. And then me and my guys are standing over here. We're over there. We're all getting along, but we're just standing there on the opposite side of the parking lot. He don't give a fuck that Too Short the Rapper's over there. <laughs> and I don't give a fuck that E-40 the Rapper's over there. If anything, I'm going over to holler at E-40 the street dude, like, what's up, dog? Like, you know, like that rap shit wasn't even, it, you know, it wasn't even like the reason. Mm. that you would fucking respect somebody or you would do click up and it wasn't, I wouldn't see E40 back then and go, 
but I like that one song you made. Like I, I like the song, but I wouldn't tell him. You know what I mean? It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wasn't, you didn't want to do collaborate collaborations. It wasn't unheard of. Like it'd be crazy. I'm like, hey man, I want to get on one of your songs. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like a foreign language. And you didn't want to use anybody else's producers. Like, like if you made beats, if you got came around me to get the kind of beats that I rap to, then you're actually doing business with us. You're with us. You're not gonna come get this sound and go somewhere else with it. This is us. So everybody I worked with early on, that was the two short sound, you know, the the Father Dom and Goldie and fucking Aunt Banks. There was there was fucking two short sound. And and everything that E40 was, E40, the click, D shot, be legit. That's that Vallejo E40 mob sound. So we used to hang around each other a lot. Mm. It had nothing to do with rap. If I remember right, some of our crew members were doing crimes together and, you know, selling dope or whatever and all kind of shit. It was just, we would be, we would hang out. So, you know, later on, the rap shit came in the game way, way later. Like, even, even after we had blew up, we still weren't really, like, on that rap conversation. That came mm. way later. We were, just, we were just friends at first. That's super interesting. Um, okay, so I'm obsessed with Get In Where You Fit In, the eighth album. Uh, first mm-hmm. of all, I want to say thank you for shouting out San Jose on Just Another Day. <laughs> that meant a lot to us. And um, I just, if we could just start with I'm a Player, like if you remember the first time you heard that bass line, or like, if you, can you just tell us about the making of this amazing record? Uh, so... When I'm when I'm recording um, Shorty the Pimp, this is a couple hours before that. I meet these musicians. Uh, first, first Aunt Banks pulled up on me, and we got different versions of how it happened. But my version is I'm sticking with my version because we laugh about it all the time. But we were at the cable company, outside the cable company. I don't know what he was doing. I was paying a bill. And he's like, yo, man, I'm Aunt Banks. I knew who Aunt Banks was, MC Ant. And, you know, uh, soon to be, Pooh Man might have been out already at that time, too. And I knew that they worked with a friend of mine, Big Bruce, ran the label that they worked for. And he was like, man, you know, man, Banks, man, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know what's up. And he talked about getting in the studio. So I knew Banks was on the beats. I was I was interested in that. And then um, at the time, I had been working with an engineer slash producer, Al Eaton, who played guitars, keyboards. Al Eaton worked on songs with me like The Ghetto, Life is Too Short, Pimp That Hole, City of Dope. You know, a lot, a lot of songs that you hear, like the bluesy kind of guitars and shit. That was me in the studio with Al. He was a real musician and he, you know, he believed in that blues. I love the blues. So um, Al was being difficult in the studio and he was trying to be more influential than I wanted him to be in the direction of where the music was going. I'm one track minded, the funk, the funk, the funk. I'm talking shit and it's the funk. He's like, you gotta, you've got to realize it's better to make records that cross over. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I made him say it. He's like, you got to make records for white people. And I'm like, 
I'm like, we're not doing that, bro. And he's like, look at MC Hammer. Look at this. And I'm like, not doing it, man. I'm just making the funk. If they like it, they like it. And he he literally like started making it difficult for me to record. And I'm starting the album Shorty the Pimp. So I meet at Banks at the Cable thing. I'm like, bro, come to the studio. He comes to the studio and Banks knows how to engineer. He knows how to work all the machines. I know how to work some shit, but not as good as him. And I'm like, I told him the story about Al fucking doing all this weird shit in the studio now. And he came in and he's like, he's like, we paid for the, the studio time is paid for. Like eight weeks of studio time paid up in full in front. That's why Al had the leverage to bullshit me. So Banks come in first week. I, I got like a whole block out to record an album. Banks come in. He, he makes Al teach him how to work Al's studio. And then he tells Al, you can just not, you don't even, you paid already. You don't even got to work. Just kick back. If we got a question, we'll actually we'll do it. Al didn't resist it, but he was pissed. And we made an album right in his fucking face. We made the Shirley the Pimp album. And I met this guy who was at the time selling drugs. When I met him, he was on a 10 speed with a backpack with some guns in the backpack and some heroin he was selling. And he's like, I met him in like a gangster environment. He's like, I'm really a guitar player. I play bass and guitar. I'm like, cool. He's like, you should pull up on me to the Acorn Projects and it'll play. So our studio was in West Oakland, not too far from Acorns. So I go to Acorns. He breaks out a little amp, sit on the front porch in the projects and start playing all this parliament, all this funk shit. So we like, Nick, bring your ass to the studio. Come on. So he comes to the studio and now he becomes a part of me and Aunt Banks making music and our, our formula. Then Shorty B, the guitar player, also works with Shock G and Digital Underground. Him and Shock G are real close, but Shock G is a real musician. And it was just that camaraderie. So he brings around this other guy who you've seen a bunch of Digital Underground videos and on his live, live band and stuff, Pee Wee. Pee Wee's like another student of the Parliament Funkadelic and he could play on the keyboards, any fucking thing you ever heard, Bootsy, George, any, he just, he's just, he's a reincarnation of something P-Funk and he can do it all. So he was the perfect missing piece that we needed. And we took Ant Banks, Shorty B, Pee Wee and myself and various other moving parts, but it was, we were the nucleus. And we go into the next album, which was um, Shorty the Pimp. And then it was um, uh, Getting Where You Fit In. So Getting Where You Fit In is actually the start of, it was sort of kind of Shorty the Pimp. We were figuring it out. But Getting Where You Fit In, you're listening to the Dangerous Crew as we are a production team. We're now formed with the same people going to the studio every day. We all are like clones of Dr. Funkenstein. And, and we can just fucking, we could dissect a song and reinvent it and make it better. We can make, we could take a song that we like and make it into something new that we don't even have to pay for it. We just grab the energy of it and make it something new. We could remake songs. We could just shoot from the hip and it's all fucking funky. Ab Banks is a master on the drums. Uh, we get the keyboard player, the guitar player. We put all these parts in. Some songs had loops, most songs didn't. Then I come in. And I put the two short rhymes on it, you know, 
and banks could rap on it. We get one of the other groups. You know, I'm, I'm really good at like, I'm a really good producer. So I would go in there. All of them had one fault. They all liked to hear themselves and what they did a lot. So Shorty <laughs> P always wants to hear the guitar playing and the bass. Pee Wee, he makes a lot. He just does noises every fucking where. And then he goes smokes his blunts. And Banks loves all the music. And I'm like, man, you got to break that shit down. Like, you know, when I take something out, it's something great that happened that nobody's ever going to hear. But it's got to, like, have that those transitions. And I just I just walk in the room. They're, they're making all this funky-ass shit. And I walk in. I'm looking at the, the, the lights jumping on the mixing board. And I just go, mute, 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 mute. <laughs> and I say, that shit is funky. And they looking at me like, but it was my songs. It was, you know, I was running the show and I'm like, bro, you gotta strip this shit down. They they tell jokes about me to this day. Like I'm I'm like, you gotta pull that shit out. I like mm-hmm. all the noises are gonna fall in the mix somewhere. Yeah. They can't go the whole time. And I was I was the mind of reasoning in the studio, but we're gonna keep this shit funky. It's not just gonna be a bunch of musicians. So getting where you fit in is the start of that. Then we make cocktails and then we make album number 10. And you can go listen to those four albums. Shorty the Pimp, Getting Where You Fit In, Cocktails, album number 10, Getting It. And listen, listen to it. That's those guys. Like we we did that shit for like five years straight. And it was, it could have kept going forever. But if you know about putting crews together, it's always a it's always a ending it's a great era man and the way you described the 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 way you guys were dissecting things and replaying them just it's it's perfect man it's just it's such great music thank you so much oh yeah yeah it was a blast Uh, making it so so just jumping forward a little bit we we get to the early 2000s 05 06 there's a whole kind of movement of music coming out the bay area that would later be known as hyphy um and then too short pops up with some of the seminal hits of that era. And I've always wondered, um, you know, it's funky, your joints from that, from that period, but you were also clearly trying to tap into the energy of the time. And it, it's perfect. Burn Rubber is an, is a, an amazing song. Uh, Blow the Whistle is a fucking classic. Um, can you talk a little bit about just how you, you tapped into that, this new sound, but still kept it too short? Uh, it was the collab, the collaborations of me and Little John. Like me and Little John uh, met in Atlanta, and Little John was inventing the crunk sound, and he was coming from the booty shake shit, which is a uh, that up tempo planet rock, uh, shorty swing my way, you know. And Atlanta was infatuated with that because of the strippers and stuff that. They, they love that that up tempo and how the dances go. So, you know, Luke Skywalker. They was, you know, it was yep. down south thing. Yep, that southeast kind of thing that they really like the fast twerk. And me and Little John, we made a string of songs together. We did uh, "Couldn't Be a Better Player." We did "Bia Bia." It was a bunch of little B side songs we did. And then Little John got his deal, and he started blowing up. And he calls me one day, like we 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 real tight the whole time, like literally, like I'm, I'm like I need these little John beats forever. I knew I knew what it was early on, 
and fucking out. He calls me one day. He's like, man, I was just in Oakland in the Bay. And he's describing this shit. He's like, they doing this shit, this music. And he's like, he's like, man, I want to make music like that for you in E40. Mm. And you know, we already like, if, if you know the progression of the hyphen, we already, I can go back and show you songs over the years that always had that energy. That kind of energy, West Coast kind of tempo, 98 beats per minute that make you feel good and and just it's just the West Coast, you know, dance shit. And what the little homies did, what Mac Dre did, what Keith the Sneak did, what Rick Rock was doing, what uh Tracks a Million was doing was taking the already foundation of the Bay Area funky hip hop, speed it up a little bit, put the new lingo, the hyphy shit, and the shit was the hottest shit ever. Little John saw something, just blew his fucking mind. If you realize one thing, Little John, not only did he make Blow the Whistle, Shake That Monkey, Burn Rubber, he made Tell Me When to Go, he made a lot of fucking hyphy songs, but he also went and gave P.D. Pablo the hyphy. Yep. He gave Yin Yang the hyphy. Yep. Uh, if you listen to Usher, yeah, yeah, that's the hyphy. Mm-hmm. He learned it, and then he was like, it, he couldn't fucking resist it. So um, my interest is always to be mixing and mingling with Bay Area artists. But the effectiveness, the effectiveness of it was Little John's production. Mm-hmm. And he took pride in as a producer. I'm going to stand here as an outsider, peep the sound, and I'm going to add something to that culture that not only stands the test of time, but at the time, it was the biggest joints. Like, you know, like, like he's giving the OGs the hottest joints. That's, 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 a, that's something that, at, you know, we were, me and 40 went well into our 30s. And I was 40. Matter of fact, he was 37 when he made Tell Me When To Go. I was 40 when I made Blow The Whistle. Mm. It's a kid movement, and we were serving it with, like, Blow The Whistle, Shake That Monkey, Burn Rubber. It's a bunch of other songs I made that are hyphy movement songs that didn't come to the surface, but it penetrated the movement. And I also featured on a bunch of songs, but I was trying to support the movement. I was like, mm. if this is the hottest thing, I want to put the stamp of approval on it. I'm, like, official, so let me stamp and approve it put my stamp of approval on it and it's like motherfuckers can't say that's the other shit. That's the real shit. That's our shit. So I just think um, the, the magnitude of our, um, of our impact was little John's involvement. Gotta give him credit. Mm. So let's bring it up to the present moment. You and 40 do versus. Um, it seemed like you guys were having a great time. But I'm wondering if, from your perspective, did it bring new listeners? Did it teach people about your storied career? Like, do you think that it was effective in that way? It did what we discussed before we did it. It reminded people of things they had forgotten. It taught people things they never knew. And it did something that Versus had not done up to that point. It was entertaining in a sense of, like, a performance. It was... It was timed perfectly because it was during the Christmas holidays. And we also knew that, because uh, I do I do Christmas shows in the Bay over the years. And what you do, the, 
the objective of doing a Christmas holiday show is to lure in people from the Bay who are only home for Christmas. So you do a show on like the 26th to 27th and you could do the same show three, four months earlier in the same venue and it'll still sell out again because it's so many people who are in town and they want to see the show. So that's the theory. So we did versus during the holidays, knowing the Bay Area would be, it was a pandemic vibe and we just knew the Bay Area would be like focused. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of little stipulations that it, it had to be, it had to be a celebration and not a competition. Mm. It had to be educational as opposed to us going at each other. It had to be an education of the Bay music. Mm -hmm. So we had to, at the same time, we're competing with the songs, going back and forth. We're celebrating and, and cheering each other on and fucking making it like a concert. And then we're telling you the story. And, you know, E-40 is a great storyteller. He, uh, his stories go a little longer than mine. A lot of people like to tell a long story. His, his goal, like they have so he, he, he too many layers. He's got a, <laughs> too many backstories, and he just keeps going. So, I um, I talk to him so much, and we hang around people, and I know I know his style of comedy, his his approach. Like if we have to, we've done so many like promo things together. I know how to do the one two with him. Like if I gotta play the straight guy and feed him the lines. Right. Or he knows what's coming or, or just feed him a story or whatever. And we, we vibe on each other like that. So uh, it was, I had a little agenda. Like I, the story had to be told. And 40 is not as calculated as me in that sense. You know what I'm saying? If you gave him the agenda, he would go with it, but we didn't have a script. So I had mental notes as well as notes in my phone of which, you know, little things to talk about, places to take the subject, things not to be forgotten that had mm. to be said. And, you know, you just, you can just feed 40, like just the idea and he'll just run with it. He's just it, like, dude, it was so hard for me to do what I was supposed to do because I really, we didn't know what each other were going to do. We just right. knew the parameters and I knew it in advance, but it, just to do it in the moment, I, I, it's hard to fucking stay on point and keep my composure when he's doing all this funny ass shit. <laughs> and a couple of times, I don't, I didn't never watch it back, but a couple of times, I'm off camera, on the floor, clenched up. <laughs> I can't stop. I'm uncontrollably laughing. My eyes, my, I'm crying like a baby. And you're on camera. <laughs> it's my turn. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like it was it was not only did it a lot of shit happen that people love to see it, but it was some shit happening in the building. Like E40 and Mr. Fab was having a little friction. And uh Fab was overhyping everything I said when it came to like Oakland or something. And Fab was like, We're me and 40 right here, he's right there off camera. So his little feedback is loud enough. We hear, you know, and 40 like, man, I, you didn't, I didn't know I could bring cheerleaders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would have brought some people to yell out Vallejo too. Like, like, 
a little bit salty, but you know, uh, was, they they had a little couple of arguments after that. But it's all family. It's all family. Oh man, it's all uh, family. Thank you. Fab thank was you for lightweight that. heckling. He was lightweight heckling. <laughs> <laughs> Light, lightweight. Oh man, we we uh, wish we could get the verses uh, behind the scenes video. Um, short. Sure, we really appreciate you making the time with us. Uh, you've been rapping forever, man. Uh, and we were talking before you got on. How long? How long can you go, man? Like, you're not retired. Like, I'm sure you got songs in the tank. Like, what's what's next for you? During the quarantine. I recorded a lot of music. I have been recording before that at the studio in downtown LA and I've just been, you know, flowing, just just doing stuff. And we didn't have much to do during the quarantine. So we just did a bunch of Zoom meetings and mm-hmm. set up deals and and made songs. So I recorded, I have in my files right now, like 50 songs, solo songs that I recorded that are like, two short songs that mixed down, done. And then we did another 50 songs with Mount Westmore. Mount Westmore, yeah. I think we stopped at like 49. And I just feel like that gave me the cushion I needed at the age I'm at now mm. to barely have to like go in here and then drop a verse and bust this yeah. and fix that. I got a whole new arsenal that I've been on this mission for a long time. The mission yeah. is you can't tell hip hop what to do. You couldn't tell hip hop that guys like me from the West Coast weren't allowed in the, in the frat. You couldn't keep the South out, you know what I'm saying? You couldn't keep the world from taking hip hop, rapping in their own language and saying, I don't even like American hip hop. Right. Like you can't, like you can't make hip hop do what it wants to do. It, 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 you can't make it do what you want it to do. You can't tell me that the hip hop that came out when you were in high school and college is the best hip hop ever. Mm. That's true to you. That's true mm. to most of us. But you can't argue with me that that's the best hip hop ever because anybody who's in college right now listening to Travis Scott is gonna tell you in ten years that's the best shit ever. Right. People ten years ago that love hip hop was like. Little Wayne is God. Like, just who are you? What era? Where are you? And I love that about hip hop. And what I'm doing is I'm specifically now just tapping into that ageism that we all invented. And now, you know, we're perpetuating it because our youngsters are saying the same shit we said when you're 16. You're like, oh, that's 25-year-old motherfuckers. Oh, y'all 25, what y'all doing here, man? Like, you know what I mean? And Soldier Boy and, you know, uh, uh, Soldier Boy's like an OG now. Fucking yeah, yeah. Uzi Vert is not 21. He's going to be an OG real soon. And it's like, you would want to make hit records in your 30s doing what you love mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. You would wish that you could do like Jay-Z and have a hit record in your 40s. And God forbid... Who's gonna keep this thing going? Fifties, you know what I'm saying, and hey, beyond. Like, hey. I'm sure at some point some blues guitar player told BB King get the fuck out the way, but right, but he didn't, you know. And yeah. look at our look at our rock gods. Yeah, they announce a new tour every fucking time you blink your eyes. 
Another right. mega tour of fucking old dudes. <laughs> and that shit sold out in advance. So, you know, hip hop is approaching that threshold of um, senior citizenship. We're there. We're actually there. Like the older guys, me, I'm, I just turned 55. We're there. We're in the, yep. we're in the door. And I'm, I make more now than I did in 1989. Right. Yeah. Like when I go do a show, they pay way more than ever. Right. Even when you adjust for inflation, you're making a lot, a lot more. Yeah. It, you know, everything, the, the, the genre, you yeah, know, is that gained more value. Yep. And yep. we got these all these sponsors and all this shit. So we, we do these fucking mega shows and it's just it's going down, man. I love hip hop. I love it. Love it. Picked a damn good job. <laughs> yeah, you did. And and we're all better for it. We really appreciate you coming on the program short. Just huge fans, man. So we, we really appreciate you making the time, man. All good, y'all. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. I'll see, I'll see you in the bay. So a lot of a lot of fanfare and hype for that, but that lived up to it in my opinion. That was our interview with Too Short. We want to uh, thank Dave for plugging it. Thank Too Short for making the time and really relaxing into it. You know, it kind of starts in a formal journalist junket type of way, and then once he kind of uh, got his blunt going, I feel like everything kind of mellowed out from there. Yeah, Nate. Yeah, definitely. And that's not uncommon with our interviews. I think um, we have, I think when we show that we know our stuff, people yeah. tend to relax. They're like, yeah. oh, this is not like a, what's your favorite color right. kind of interview, or it's just not about the new record. Like these are right. like questions that people have had for a long time. They've studied my material. Um, I think that tends to loosen people up a little bit so and i mean we were laying it on pretty thick with the reverence so it's like yeah you know mm -hmm. who doesn't like that <laughs> but he was responsive man he was responsive and like you said after after first off it's just like two shorts lighting up a blunt and talking to us <laughs> ridiculous to, to be in that presence but um yeah man i mean people are usually a little trepidatious at first but once once we like we show them that we care and that we know and that we know our history and especially with short too, like we mentioned being Bayerians and stuff. And I think that just sort of opened everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the interview definitely kind of had this trajectory, shared great stories, got philosophical, told us, uh, you know, he remembers so much. I was like, yeah. dang, dude, it's like, I can't imagine how many blunts this guy has smoked. And he remembers sure. everything. He remembers moments <laughs> in the studio and yeah. meeting people for the first time. I was like, wow, I like barely remember, you know. When we interviewed Fat Lip in Jerry D's studio <laughs> four years, years ago, ago. You know? yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy, yeah. It it has been a, a a very interesting ride over the last four years. By interesting, I mean fucking great. Uh, the trajectory has just been going up and up. More listeners, uh, more incredible guests. 
we've gotten a little bit sharper in our three-man weave. Uh, the show is is getting better production-wise. We got actual equipment now. Like it's it's definitely the the typical hip hop story of kind of grinding from the bottom and still being at the higher part of the bottom, but still trying to grind forward. Uh, and so we we have big hopes for the for the coming seasons. But as we kind of back out of the door here on episode two hundred, wanted to just take a moment to talk about some of our favorite moments from these uh, two hundred episodes, which is um, a lot of episodes and a lot of moments. And, you know, I would say on the main, uh, most of the Mondays we sit down are either decent to great. There have been very few really shitty ones. And I think that's what it's allowed us to keep the run going. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave, give us, give us a couple of, a uh, couple of your fave moments from the, the first 200 episodes of DBRP. Well, I think I think you guys know what I'm, I'm going to say. I always revert back to this one. But um, just because we're such, you know, heads when it comes to history and uh, research and stuff, I got to go with Last Poets. And, yeah. um, you yeah. know, certainly the, you know, with the trajectory of hip hop and and their importance in terms of prologue, um, it, it cannot be overstated. And we have great interviews, but that was an interview where I remember just sitting there and getting goosebumps and listening yeah. to the stories that they were telling. And um, so that one certainly stands out because I feel like that's a moment that can't be repeated. You know, we might be able to get yeah. Slug on the phone and have another awesome interview, but to get the last poets on the phone and and to have that shared experience was fucking phenomenal. That was the um, last poetry. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. A couple a couple other moments that sort of stand out was um, just us. Um, being in our private recording press room in Boise interviewing yeah. video Dave in yeah. person was uh, was like a nice moment to sort of like reflect and exhale and, and nerd out with these dudes. And, you know, shout out to Stony Island for their um, constant support and Mike's constant support as well. Um, those are two moments that stand out. Um, I'd like to bring up just briefly three other like interviews that stood out. Um, mm-hmm. DMC yeah. um, uh, sitting there with Nate, like having like the best afternoon of my life uh, unexpectedly because he was just so uh, present and nice and and giving us our time um our interview with merce um stands out he was so um i like the pacing of the interview his candor and you know merce i'm a fan of his work but i might be a more bigger fan of that interview than i am of his work you know what i mean he just mm. came off as mm. such a good dude yeah and um and he's you know subsequently such um a supporter of us like you know how can you not like he's a real ass dude and um the other one that stands out is uh dj shadow i think that was sort of like an important yeah. juncture for us too yep yep and um if anybody listens have has listened to any dj shadow interview you know that he's such a great interviewee and just gives you the goods and it's just so articulate with everything and especially us being like soul sides heads and bay Arians, i think um that was another huge moment um there's so many to kind of cherry pick from but th- but those are the few that okay uh, stick out yeah absolutely uh nate what are what are nate's greats from uh the first 200 uh, one i've been thinking about a lot because i just bought his uh new record on wax is our breeze brewing interview mm. um it, it, he was one of the first people who came on and he was like no, I've been listening to the show. Like, you don't have to yeah. 
pre yeah, you gotta like, tell I, me i know who yeah. you are and like i want to talk to you and we had a really good i don't even consider it to be an interview i consider it to be a conversation and that yeah. like that is someone i'm like really interested in like i'm a little intimidated by people who can write that well like whether they wrap the words later or not he is an incredible writer and so when he came with it and told us that. So remember that story he told us about the classroom and the kid yes, that had a yeah, mentor yeah. and stuff? Like, yes. yep. that was absolutely incredible. And I, I just, I think we should like get in the habit of re-soliciting uh, that episode, kind of like we do so the Shadow and some of the other ones. We'll just throw them back up again. Or uh, Nathan or Dave and I's uh, Dell interview. We anytime it's the anniversary, we always throw that one back up. We should put yep. that one back in the rotation. It's amazing. Um, I think the recent run we had where we talked to blockhead rob sonic and saya all in a row Mm. and i got my like late 90s early 2000s like indie nerd fix and again for those guys to care about what we do and to be so open with us it was really fun to hang out with blockhead in the city remember it was such a beautiful gorgeous day and then we went record shopping and dave and i got a beer and i was just like this this one i want my life to be like totally Totally. Wait, hold on. This is my life right now. Like this is what I'm doing today. It You're was, doing it, was it so great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think um th- I'm gonna leave it there for now. We we've had some really great moments. There's been some times where we like really dragged ass into the interview and we get on the Zoom and we're like, How are you? And we're like, mm. and like, you yeah. know, like we and then by the end, we're like cracking up telling yep. stories doing our little inside jokes and i always leave the thing on a high and like because of the time we record i'm always starving by the time we're done so it's like <laughs> slam the laptop shut and go like find a burrito like immediately but i just like i like that ritual and i i love doing this with you guys and it's just been really really fun and i've learned a lot and i've grown a lot and just cannot imagine my life without it at this point so thank you all yeah yeah same here uh it has become a ritual it is it is part of my practice, and I feel like the first 200 episodes have allowed me to just fall in love with rap again. Mm. Like, as, a, as an artist, sometimes, like, this shit can get really old, um, and the podcast has given me a lane to, um, to even challenge myself to, to listen to more stuff and be more open, uh, because I'm going to have to have some shit to talk about. Uh, when I come on, on the air, some of my favorite moments, um, I'm going to go... Uh, somewhat deep cuts here um our interview with sterling tolls i thought Mm, was one of the absolute best ones we did not just from a perspective of like he's a really interesting cat kind of a recluse um he was super gracious he has an amazing uh basement detroit studio it like it had all the trappings of a really good interview but then um he dropped a couple gems there that were like life advice kind of like de- artist development advice that uh that actually still stick with me and I think about when I'm doing things so I, I felt kind of blessed to have have had that time in that same vein we talked to Jay Zone um and he also kind of like broke down a lot of music industry as well as life advice and kind of told his story but also he's a really reflective cat and he's like gleaned life lessons from it so I guess mine are all like TED talk-ish uh, ones that I woke, I walked away from going like, yeah, um, there are people who do music who are uh, somewhat healthy, uh, 
you know, introspective human beings, like not everybody's kind of burnt out and bitter and, and they're, they're doing their thing. So the J-Zone one definitely stands out to me. And then the last one that I'll mention was our interview with Gift Gab, um, RIP Gab. Mm. Um, it was a really good interview. Um, such a, a gentle, warm spirit and just the, maybe the artist, he is the artist that we interviewed that maybe I had spent the most time like studying, like who I would try to pattern myself after. And, um, you know, his passing was, it was a huge loss, but I also kind of felt this glimmer of like, wow, I'm glad that we got to share that space and time with him um, when we did. And it, it really, it really just stuck with me. And so, um, yeah, those are, those are some of the moments, uh, you, you know, get some early ones, dude. The J Zone and the Gift of Gab are super early in the run. Like totally. a lot of people listening to this probably don't realize they'll exist. Those are good. Yeah. Y'all Those should are good back. ones. Though. Yeah, y'all should definitely loop back and, and peep some of the some of the early cuts. Um speaking of cuts, cutso, what are what are some of your your favorite uh DBRP moments? Um, well, <laughs> um, I really enjoyed sitting in and talking about um um Gangstar, hard to earn with you guys. Yes, um, yes. That was a fun episode. Um, I loved listening to you guys geek out on the Buck Wild episode. It was so <laughs> funny. Man. I was dying because it was just like you know you you guys usually you know take it from you know like a very conversational approach and you know you guys are you know very professional in what you do. Um, and the Buck Wild episode was just a it was a total like wayne's world aerosmith moment where you guys were kind of like you know you're known for this and you're known for producing this do you ever wake up in the morning and realize i'm buck wild <laughs> you're buck wild man and i was dying when i heard that that's wild man <laughs> it, it almost kind of brought tears to my eyes because I, I really felt like you know the, you guys have spent so much time like building this podcast and um you know, to see you guys, you know, have the opportunity to, you know, interview these these artists that you really admire and to, you know, even like in, once you start getting these legends in there, I was like, wow, I mean, my boys are finally dude, they're mm-hmm. doing it so great. And, you know, um, I also <laughs> there was an episode uh, where you guys were talking to another podcast about the juice soundtrack. Yeah. And yeah. I had never in my life ever felt more like a ghost. I was yelling. I was yelling in my car listening to this episode. And I just had to sit back and listen to you guys slander the shit out of my favorite soundtrack. (laughs) And here, and you know, you know, much respect to your guests, um, you know, uh, but I was also like, have these people ever even listened to this fucking soundtrack? Like, No mention of Aaron Hall, no mention of Tammy Lucas, no mention of, you know, um, Too too Short was on there. No one meant, you you, you guys mentioned But um, I had never felt more like a ghost in my life. Oh, man. (laughs) It was really funny. But um, I also really loved the Saya uh, episode of of the more recent rounds because it just made me... It made me fall in love with that with that EP all over again. Mm, yeah, mm, I forgot yeah. how much I loved that album. 
And I think we've found that uh, there's basically a one-to-one correlation between people who like that record and people who like our podcast. Like if there's, yeah. <laughs> if there's one record and, you know, part of me kind of wishes it could be a more popular record where we had this correlation, but right. it's like for the people who know, we found like when we first interviewed Yesh, we tapped this whole new group of listeners where they're like, oh, that's my shit. And yeah. so when Saya kind of came to us and wanted to talk to us, we were just like, I kind of can't believe this is happening. Like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So thanks for like bringing that up. And like, I, I remember you and I listening to that when it first came out. Yeah, this totally, was, man. Like, it's been a crazy run. And like, um, you, you know, we consider you to be plugged for and you're That's a really right. important part of this That's show. Right. And man, uh, we, guys, we bring Seriously. you on for your expertise and your sense of humor and your good nature. And um, you've always like knocked it out of the park every time you were on. So thank you so much. And thank you for putting together the Mega Mix, man. We just like, when we envisioned what we wanted this to be like, we thought of you first. It's an honor Dude. and a pleasure, you guys. I love you yeah. guys so much. And I'm so honored to have been a part of this particular episode and just to be friends with you guys, man. Like uh, you guys have turned this podcast. You guys have turned our two in the morning whiskey and crackers <laughs> at the dining table post totally. hangout conversations into a full fledged podcast. And I love yeah. to see you guys grow. I love to see Paulo. I, it just to have you here, Paulo, is so perfect. Sometimes the sort of the jokes write themselves, and you being Prince Paulo and Plug Four, it's just, <laughs> it's just I, it, it was already there. You know what I mean? And you know, let me let me just take a quick second to thank you, Damone. Um, what you do is sort of a thankless job, and your your natural ability on the mic is something I envy, and I try to strive to be better because you're so good, and um, you kill it every week, man. And Nate. Your growth as a producer is is astounding. Yeah. Um, you're a fucking professional podcast producer now. And just remember, we fucking we started this at zero. So thank you for every week. Thanks. Yeah, guys. appreciate yeah. you. Totally. I, I... Hey, you're you're the quarterback king, man. You've been <laughs> quarterbacking all these amazing guests, man. So uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And like you said, it's it's really just our our drunken sort of conversations, and just the fact that people care uh, that means the world to me. Yeah, it's it's been amazing to see this community really kind of right. uh, form around the program. Uh, Open Mike Eagle talks a lot about this and, and why he wanted to start Stony Island, because in a lot of ways, hip hop is under documented. These are stories right. that haven't been um, captured and and the, the people who live these things haven't had a mic in their face. A lot of times, I think that's part of the reason why we have such good interviews. It's because they had it, they were just cupping it weird and yelling at the sound man. <laughs> so man, so man. Uh, but you know, and now it's got to the point where you know, just like Sire has reached out to us and was like, Hey, this is this is uh, you know, a program that that I enjoy that I, I want to tell my story on here. Can I just like throw in one little rejoinder right there? Because people keep asking us on Twitter to find these lost rappers. He That's found works, us, bro. I don't yeah. know how to find rappers who don't want to be found like, right, yeah, right, just yeah. just a quick quick disclaimer i appreciate you guys i just i don't know where to find dave Logic where is Tom smiles Lee. and south star <laughs> i'm still waiting on the little daddy shane episode <laughs> yes uh rappers if, if you're out there uh we want to talk to you and you know we want to make sure that this podcast is a continues to be a platform uh, for telling the story of the greatest genre of music um, that America ever created. Maybe not, but it's my favorite. And I feel like um, we're, on a, we're on a great trajectory. 
audience is growing. We're, we're kind of, I feel like, sort of lucking into um, these really timely opportunities. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a fun journey and it's like, it's not over. That's, that's the wildest part to me is that we've done 200 and it almost seems like we're kind of just getting started. Like I right. figured, I think around 1.30, I was like, oh, I, I kind of know how to do podcasting now uh, and what makes it for a good podcast. So we're, we're definitely grateful for everyone who listens. Uh, we're even more grateful for all the folks who have hit us up and joined the Patreon uh, patreon.com slash dad bod rap pod uh, growing community over there. We've got some, some fans and some mega fans. Shout out to uh, Richard Hoffman, shout out to Leon Mize who are giving uh giving monthly bread to make sure that this program can keep going. And it's the type of support that means the world as an underground rapper, the, the level from going from zero to monetized is like fucking Mount Everest. Uh, and now we're, we're just starting to get, um, up the mountain of that and, and it's in large part due to the Patreon community so join there if you like the two short interview there was a part that was way too raunchy uh, <laughs> even for our podcast but we're gonna we're gonna put it on the Patreon uh, for the sickos over there to um, to enjoy as much as we did and that's just kind of some of the type of stuff that you'll get on our Patreon we're kind of massaging out new forms of content for there you get the fly sporadic radio show dave is raffling off fly promos from his collection um you know so we're growing we're evolving we're changing stick with us you can follow us on twitter at dad bod rap pod you can follow us on instagram at dad bod rap pod we do episodes every thursday we 200 deep but uh cut so our our guy we were like we wanted to do something special uh for this episode being the 200th episode being that obviously we all love too short and his music and we asked cuddy to do a mega mix which i just like even the word mega mix it takes me back to a place and a time uh where where that was an era for sure absolutely so you did it man talk to us a little bit about how you put this mix together and then we'll, we'll actually play it for the folks well i mean you know when you guys first approached me to do this project I, the the mega mix itself i was like dude yes like i would love to because you know making making mixes is my bread and butter um and to do something you know special you know for not only just your 200th episode uh but for too short in tribute of too short uh, you know, uh, an artist whose catalog I celebrate, like in every DJ set I get, a, you know, that I that I play. Um, picking the songs to put in there and compressing it into a 10 minute mega mix was the hardest thing. And at one point, this mix was 15 minutes long and mm-hmm. I had to chop it down. Like there was more work in editing the mix down than actually putting it together. You know, it's actually funny, P. Like I, I set this time limit for you and I'm the editor over here. So I'm well aware of how much more work it is to make something shorter. So I apologize. <laughs> yeah. You could have definitely texted me and been like, it's 15 minutes. And I would have been like, send it over. But right. we were going for 10. It's amazing. Sorry, I just didn't want to interrupt your story. But I no, I no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. And, um, you know, that, that was the thing. It was like, you know, there, he, like I said earlier, he, his, his career and his catalog spans so many eras and so many decades that, you know, how do you possibly pick the cream of the crop from those? And I really just kind of stuck with the songs that made, you know, just you know, the, the biggest effect on me as a, as a DJ, as a listener, as a fan. 
And also, I kind of wanted to keep, you know, the dad bod rap pod brand in mind. Yeah, so I, I wanted to, you know, and, and also, you know, cater to, you know, your 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 layman two short fans who, you know, don't really know his catalog the way they should. And so, you know, it was it was a bit of them, a bit of you guys and a bit of me in in 10 minutes. Damn. And I wanted Damn. to pick and I wanted to pick, you know, like some some really notable ones and you, you'll hear it in the mix. There's. There's some really big ones. There's some cutty ones. There's like a really cool little. Uh, uh, I, I'm not gonna give it away, but the, the end of the mix just got me so amped up. I was like pacing the room. <laughs> I was back at it. And you'll that see that makes why. two of us. Once you once you said over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. Like I, I work on music all the time. I work on mixes all the time, but. If I'm out of my chair pacing and pumping my fists like, yes, getting my Hulk on, it's, it's I, it, the world is not ready. <laughs> and so, I, to say the least, I'm very proud of this mix, and I'm so honored that you guys, you know, signed me on board to to do this mix for you guys, and you know, to have it coincide with, you know, an interview with Too Short that you guys did, and yeah, let's talk All about right. it. Yes, yes. So we have the the DJ Cut So Special Limited Edition Mega Mix. I feel like there should be some effects on my voice when I say that, Nate, like <laughs> like old school. Um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna run that for y'all. Dead bod rap pod. So you motherfuckers thought I was gonna change my style. So what are you saying, Todd? Too short, baby, hear what I say. I never do work, but I always play. Cause the game is life, and I play the game. So you never talk down on a player's name. When I grab my mic, I'm the one-man crew. Talking about me, wouldn't think about you. When you heard too short, came to town. You never would have thought I'd be looking down on who on you. Cause I'm so big. Me and my money is all I do. I don't eat ice cream or cherry pie If you know what I mean, I'm just getting by To all you bitches, hoes, and all that shit Here's another rap that I'm ready to spit It goes like this, my name is short I'm tearing shit up like never before Pimp, slaps, making snaps Cold cash money and two short raps Oakland, California, that's where I'm from The city where the boys say you don't want nothing But if you do, I'm gonna tell you this Truths and vogues ain't really shit Wanna roll so hard all the time You and that bitch playing two short rhymes If you ask me what it's all about I'll say it's about that money But if you ask me, could you have some? I'll say it doesn't concern you You wanna be a gangster all that shit, smoke any motherfucker, don't even trip, you be hard as hell, take whatever you want, punk suckers wanna front, they get done to you again. Tell me. Shit, I'm coming out that way tonight. I'm trying to get with you. When you need someone to talk to, someone to fuck you. Call me. Satisfaction guaranteed. I give a fuck about any nigga you 
fuck with, stuck with I love the way she suck dick and make me bust this It's hard to hold back when it's this good You said she wouldn't, I knew the bitch would Cause I'm a veteran, twist him in the game so fast With this pimping, bitch you know you ain't gon' last I got to get him, let him know I'm pimping really Unless I'm getting paid, this shit is temporary Coming straight from Oakland, California, home of the rock. Eight woofers in the trunk, beating down the block. Short dog, I'm that rapping man. I said it before, and I say it again like this. Live your life for crime, the beat and keep beating 